As we dig down into the mine of God's Word this morning, let's remember the true treasure that awaits us there. To use the words of Psalm 19, take a look. Psalm 19, it says, The law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. Does that sound good to you? Reviving the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Wow, I hope that that encourages you to want to receive what God has for us this morning through His Word. That through His Word, He does want to revive your soul. That He does want to make wise the simple. That He does want to uh, give you rejoicing in your heart. And He wants to enlighten our eyes. Let's trust Him for those things. So let's do that by, by looking together at what God has revealed from His Word this morning. Specifically, let's look at a passage from our Bible reading plan. This is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. If you need a Bible, we've got some on the back counter there. Uh, open up a Bible app if, if you go that direction to Matthew chapter 25. The very end, verses 31 through 46. Sometimes this passage here, our main passage this morning, is referred to as the parable of the sheep sheep and goats. But when you look at it, it really is not a parable. It's not a a parable like Jesus spoke in parables. Uh, It does use a simile. There's a simile in verse 32, the simile of the shepherd. But that's about it. It's not a parable. So if it isn't a parable, what exactly is it? Well, let's actually figure that out by digging into the text this morning. Instead of reading straight through verses 31 through 46, let's break it down into sections and take it chunk by chunk, if that sounds good. So we're going to start with verses 31 through 33. These are the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. So, to rightly understand the point of this entire section that we're looking at this morning, we need to make sure that we first understand the context. There's actually a flow. There's a flow to this passage, to this whole chapter. It actually goes back to the end of the last chapter, maybe the beginning of the last chapter. But what I'd like you to see at the end of chapter 24 is we discover that Jesus starting early in chapter 24, has been talking with his disciples about his return and the end of the age. 
what some might call the end times, the last days. Uh, but, uh, but contrary to common conceptions, misconceptions about that, the Bible is very clear the last days began with the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That was the fulfillment of all that had been prophesied about this, this final peace, this final era in which God was going to work to accomplish amazing things. Those things prophesied by the Old Testament, the Hebrew prophets. So Jesus is describing his return in the end of the age there in chapter 24. And as he states in Matthew 24, verse 44, he comes down to this practical point of application. Therefore, you also must be ready. You must be ready. Now, some today believe being ready means pulling out uh, charts, you know, pulling out newspapers, trying to figure out the jigsaw puzzle that is, the end times, how it will all go down, what's the fulfillment of prophecy. That's not what Jesus has in mind here. To stress this practical application of being ready for his return, Jesus, beginning the very next verse, 24, verse 45, provides three parables in a row. Three parables regarding this idea of being ready for his return. The first parable is in 24, verses 45 through 51. And it's a parable about servants, household servants, who have been entrusted with certain responsibilities by the master of the house because he is going away and he wants to make sure that things will run just as he planned them to run while he's away. The second parable in chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, is about ten bridesmaids, some of whom were and some of whom were not ready to meet the groom and the rest of the bridal party as they moved from one phase of the Jewish wedding to a, a dinner reception that was later in the evening. So they're there in the dark waiting for the rest of the group. Some were and some were not ready. Finally, like the first parable, the third parable here in chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, describes a master leaving, going away on business. But before he leaves in this parable, he entrusts some of his money to his servants so that they can use it to make profit while he is away. Three parables all speaking to this issue of readiness. So if Jesus is preparing his disciples and every subsequent reader of those parables, if he is preparing us for his coming, then clearly verse 31 describes his actual coming. (laughs) What will happen when in fact he does come? Why must we be ready for the return of Christ Because when he comes, as we just heard, he will judge. When he comes, he will judge. A day of accountability. A day of judgment. This is not a new topic. We've seen it throughout Matthew's gospel. He's already talked about it a number of times. Jesus made this clear in several places, including, take a look at this, 1627. 
where he said, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So, keeping that in mind, if we continue reading on in our main passage this morning, we discover something important about this judgment. Specifically, we discover how the coming king will separate the sheep from the goats. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Did you see how those designated by Jesus as blessed by my Father, this group who is blessed by the Father, are those who have been a blessing to the needy? They've been a blessing to the needy. Who are the needy here? Well, in general, I think we could say that the needy man is the one who is hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. That's what we see here. Now, please don't miss how those descriptions of neediness are emphasized in this passage. Each of those six terms that I just mentioned is repeated three more times in this passage. So four times, all six of those are repeated. It's clear that this is just an obvious emphasis of what's being said here. Verses 37 through 39. Verses 42 through 43 and verse 44. Now, is this a new emphasis, this emphasis on this kind of neediness? Uh, No. Is Is it a new emphasis in terms of what God has revealed? Not at all. The Old Testament speaks in many places about the righteous person. Take a look. The righteous person who does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment. Ezekiel 18, 16. The book of Proverbs reminds us that whoever oppresses a man insults, sorry, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy, honors him, honors God. Chapter 14, verse 31 of Proverbs. And then David wrote in Psalm 41, 1, blessed is the one who considers the poor. And that's just a tiny smattering of verses. There's there's so many amazing verses in the Old Testament about this very thing. What is stunning about this emphasis, speaking in these general terms about the needy man, but, just, but when we look at specifically at this passage, what is stunning about this emphasis here is that Jesus identifies himself as the one who was hungry, as the one who was thirsty, a stranger, the one who was naked and sick and in prison. Jesus identifies himself as that needy man. What exactly, though, does that mean? Well, let's look at verses 37 through 40. 
they actually help us answer that question. Look at verses 37 through 40. Jesus continues there. Then the righteous will answer him. Those blessed by the Father. They will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Wow. Clearly, the righteous in this passage are as shocked and confused as any of us would be if we were having this kind of conversation. Uh, We would say to ourselves, surely we would have recognized Jesus if we actually met him. We would know that we had met Jesus, let alone blessed him, served him in these ways, right? We would know that. Notice how Jesus explains what he means in verse 40. He says, it was not literally me that you ministered to, right? It wasn't literally Jesus to whom they ministered, but it was men and women with whom Jesus closely identifies. And he so closely identifies with them that they are called brothers. A term that, of course, can mean brothers and sisters, the siblings of the household. So who is Jesus talking about here? Those with whom he identifies. Who is he speaking about here? He's talking about his followers. He's talking about his followers. As Jesus said in chapter 12, take a look. Chapter 12, verses 49 through 50. It says, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is my family. And as Jesus told the apostles before sending them out, you may remember in Matthew chapter 10, before sending them out on their first mission, he said, whoever receives you receives me. You see that identification? He with his followers, his disciples. And two verses later, Jesus in Matthew 10 makes a statement that sounds a whole lot like what we have here in chapter 25. It says in Matthew 10, 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water. Wait, who are the little ones? Gives them a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. The little one is a disciple. The one who does that, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see, that kindness for one who is a disciple, someone in need who receives this cup of cold water, there is blessing awaiting that kind of ministry, that kind of service. Jesus encourages them. And it's that language of this little one, these disciples as little one, it's that language that sets us up for chapter 18, verse 5, where he says, whoever receives one such child... In my name receives me. Jesus isn't talking about a literal child there. As the context makes clear. Go back and look at it. He's talking about the disciple who is walking in childlike humility. 
That's what Jesus has prescribed there. You need to be humble like these children are humble. The one who is humble is greatest in the kingdom of God. This description of a child corresponds to what we just saw in Matthew 10, 42, the little one, one who is a little one. But, but please don't miss the point. Oh, that's a lot of verses I just threw at you. But please don't miss the points that are being emphasized in those verses. Number one, Jesus identifies with his people. He is present in, with, and among them. Number two, there is blessing promised to those who care for his people. Because number three, we are actually blessing Jesus when we bless his people. Does that make sense? You see, by the time we arrive at chapter 25 of Matthew, these are common themes. There's no mystery here. These are common ideas that Jesus has already laid out and woven through the gospel. What's interesting is how the Old Testament echoes this same, these same points in one verse that comes to mind. Proverbs 19, verse 17. Look what it says. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to Yahweh. And he, Yahweh, will repay him for his deed. <laughs> that's, that's all the same ideas, isn't it? That we care for those in need and we think of it as we are caring, we are ministering to God as we care for that one in need. And guess what? God will bless us. He will minister to us. He will care for us. Now, take a look. These same points that we just talked about, these same points are also the basis for the indictment that we find in the closing verses of our main passage. Look with me at verses 41 through 46. We read this. Then he, the king, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say, he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So who are these at the left hand of Jesus? Who are these people separated as goats would be from the sheep? They are those who have had the opportunity to care for disciples of Jesus who were in need, but they did not do so. That helps us identify who they are. They had opportunity, but they did not do so. In fact, I think we can be even more specific about who they are. 
consider the kind of people that Jesus describes in chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel, verses 21 through 23. Take a look. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I declare to them, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice the similarities there. Notice what we're describing. Uh, Who is being separated here? The separation is taking place among all who say, Lord, Lord. You see, this whole group of people is saying, Lord, 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 Lord. That's an address of familiarity. They believe. Jesus, I know Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. Lord, Lord. It's Bryce. It's me. Dude, come on. Lord, right? That's what they're saying. All these people. And Jesus says, not everyone who says that means it, believes it, most importantly, lives it. That's who's being sifted here in Matthew chapter 7. Those who say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus goes on in chapter 13, verses 41 through 43. Take a look here. Where, where he describes the same thing happening, but he puts it in terms of, 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 of weeds being separated from the wheat. Verse 41 of chapter 13. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom. Do you see that? They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace, those weeds away from the wheat. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, grief and anger, and then the righteous will will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Father, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, says Jesus, let him hear. So this separating is exactly what we find in Matthew 25, where we're told that the king will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Friends, what we have here is a separation of true Christians from false Christians. True Christians from false Christians. Among all the nations, there will be some who, in the words of Titus 1.6, profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. That's exactly Christ's point. These false disciples... The, the separated to the low, separated as goats to the left. These false disciples wrongly focus on that within the church, which reflects their own priorities, which reflects their own worldly hearts. In contrast, though, genuine disciples 
focus on that which reflects the priorities and heart of God. Because their hearts have been changed. You see, that's what marks, truly, fundamentally marks a sheep. Their hearts have been changed. His heart, her heart has been changed. Please hear this. In all likelihood, the homeless man at the intersection down the way is not Jesus. In all likelihood, neither is the incarcerated nephew of your neighbor or the impoverished child you saw in that gut-wrenching commercial. It's more likely those people are simply people who need Jesus, but they are not Jesus in the way Christ talks about here in Matthew 25, verses 40 and 45. Contrary to popular opinion, when Christ describes separating the sheep from the goats, his focus is not on charitable works to the needy out there. Take a look. His focus is on what genuine faith genuinely looks like within the church. That's what he's saying here. Where can we find Jesus? He is present in His people. All of His people. Every single one of them. Even the least of these, my brothers. So how can you be prepared for the return of Jesus? How can we be ready to stand before His throne? We can be clear about what genuine faith genuinely looks like within the church and brothers and sisters we have to be we have to be scripture teaches that we are saved through faith alone by god's grace alone full stop that's what it teaches we are not saved because of our love for the least of these No, our love for the least of these is evidence that we have been saved by grace alone. Do you understand? That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. And the Apostle John, don't take my word for it. Listen to the word of God. This isn't my opinion. This is scripture. This is revelation. The Apostle John later explains this so clearly. Look what he says here in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Want to know if you're genuinely a Christian, genuinely born again? That if you genuinely are blessed of the Father then ask yourself, do I love the brothers and sisters? Has God given me that heart? By this, verse 16 of 1 John 4, by this we know love that He laid down His life for us. There's the gospel. Amen. Amen. There's the gospel. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees His brother or sister in need hungry thirsty naked sick in prison a stranger sees his brother or sister in need yet closes his heart against him 
How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Whoa. I love when passages of Scripture like this from totally different places all of a sudden come together in this powerful like symbiosis, right? Uh, just affirming and bringing out what Jesus spoke to his, to his disciples there in those words. John pulls out these doctrinal points, these ideas, and brings them to these churches, probably in Asia Minor, teaching them, applying this truth of God's word. This is exactly what Jesus has highlighted for us in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Please take a moment. Please think about how this applies to you personally, what this will mean for you personally. Uh, For some of you, this is a clear call to step out and go deeper, to go beyond simply sharing space with fellow disciples of Jesus on Sunday morning, to actually moving into places of real connection and caring or maybe allowing others to connect with and care for you. Maybe that's what God's challenging you with. He's saying, step out, step forward. There's more to this life in the body of Christ than attendance, your attendance, you stacking the chairs, you doing whatever. There's connection and caring. For others, God has provided here a powerful reminder for us. Please hear this. That seeking out and serving Jesus often means seeking out and serving those among us who are especially burdened. It can be tempting, it can, to do church with the people you like. To do church with the people who are ready to pour themselves into you. It can be tempting to to do church with people like you. People with whom ministry just seems easier, more joyful. I get so much out of it. It can be tempting to stay there. But when we seek out and serve those brothers and sisters experiencing real and sometimes desperate need, those struggling, those in painful situations, dealing with complicated emotions, the people with whom ministry can seem harder, we can then be encouraged that according to His own words, we will meet Jesus there. Do you see? That's where He is. And we're so scared. We draw our boundaries, don't we? We get the right doctrine and we reassure ourselves that we know the truth. But Jesus is challenging us. He's looking us right in the eye and saying, what have you done with the least of these? Do you even care? And if you're scared if it's uncomfortable for you to do that, to step out in that way, then deal with it. Come to me and deal with it. Face it. Acknowledge it. Get help so that you can live that out. The very thing that I'm calling you. Don't tell yourself lies. 
Don't simply write a check and walk away. Love those in need. Feed those who are hungry. Give a drink to those who are thirsty. Welcome the stranger into your home. Care for the sick. Go visit those in prison. And those are just six descriptions that open us up to a world of of need and hurt and lack. Where someone doesn't have something and they feel the pain of that. And us going to them will most certainly cost us something. But in those moments, we most reflect Jesus. As we lay down our lives for each other. And Jesus tells us, if you want to find me, don't just sit there and put your nose in a theology book. Don't just go and lift your hands up and wave them in the air to the song that you like. Go to the hurting person, your brother, your sister, and you will find me there. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Wonderfully, meeting Jesus in my brother's time of need reminds us both that we are bound together as equals, doesn't it? We are bound together, my brother and my sister, or my sister, that we are bound together as equals, that is, as needy sinners who have been profoundly blessed by the King Himself. If I can give and I can help, it's only because I've been given and I've been helped by Jesus Christ. That's the only reason I can do any of that. Listen again to how Jesus addresses us in light of God's grace. Listen and try to imagine with that holy imagination that the voice of Jesus is proclaiming this to you. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. It's been prepared for you. Do you long to hear those words? I hope you do. What a reminder Jesus has given us that our readiness for His return simply means living each day in light of His love for you. His love. What kind of love is it? It's a love that chose us and called us and changes us. Because it's been prepared right? We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And guess what? We then walk in works that God has prepared for us to walk in, right? He he prepared those works. We live out those good works because he has prepared that according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ultimate love for the needy like us is what the gospel tells us. Ultimate love for the needy like us that ultimately we might love the needy among us as an expression of our love for Him. That's the gospel cycle at work in us that Jesus points to here. If you love Jesus, brother, sister, if you love Jesus, then love Him by loving others, one another, especially those in places of desperate need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God for the help, the perspective, the practicing of these very things.